Grace and peace to you this morning. It's good to be worshiping together today. As we gather, I invite you to take two or three deep breaths, just a chance to center yourself in this place and in this space. Truly, the Spirit is moving in and among us this morning. Let us now prepare our hearts and minds to worship God. Good morning. Standing or sitting, please join me in the call to worship, which was inspired by Psalm 119. Happy are those who walk in God's ways. Blessed are those who see God with their Faithful are those whose eyes are fixed on righteousness. Joyful are those whose hearts are filled with praise. Come, let us worship the one who leads us in the ways of life. may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to worship at Westminster. 
If you're visiting with us, I want to offer a special welcome to you. I'm glad you have found your way here. I invite all of you after worship into our Finley Hall for coffee, tea, and some snacks. Just right out these doors and to the left. Uh, my favorite part of our fellowship time is uh, getting to talk to people, especially finding someone that maybe I haven't yet met. And I invite you to do the same. Finally, if you're sitting here in the center during our offering time, if you'd take that pew register and put your name in it, pass it down the aisle, pass it back. Great way to see the names of those who are sitting near you. A great way if you're new to us, if you want to add some contact info, we can be in touch with you later in the week if you have questions or want more information about the church. Before we start our community prayer, uh, on the last line we have a typo. Ah! Um, it was very confusing at 8.30. Uh, so we're going to fix it at 10. It says draw us into twice, draw us, draw us. So ignore draw us once again into, and when we pray, we're just going to start it, draw us into community. And if you're totally confused, that's okay. God knows what we're saying, so let it roll off your tongue however it might, all right? So let's join together in our community prayer. Let us pray. Loving God, you call us to walk in your ways and love you as you have loved us. You offer us a community of abundant blessing in which to learn and grow. Still, we turn away from you to satisfy our own wants and desires. We abandon the way of love and forgiveness. Forgive us when we flee from your embrace. Help us break free from ideas that no longer bring life, that we may embrace the life-giving work of your spirit Draw us into community with you and with one another. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God's love finds us no matter how far away we wander. God finds us and God brings us back home. For we are forgiven in Christ. We are made new each and every day. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as we continue our time of prayer with our joys and concerns, I'll start by offering a prayer of healing for Bruce Vieira, who was supposed to be our elector today, but tested positive for COVID. So Bruce may be watching at home. Bruce, our healing prayers are for you. And I want to offer a prayer of joy for Ruth E. Wells, who thought she was just going to be able to sit in the congregation and listen to the beautiful music of Glenn and Martha today. And no, she is now our elector. So thank you, Ruthie, for stepping in at the last moment. How about you? What's on your heart and mind today that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, Barb.
So Barb offers prayers for the Golbus family who are members at Congregation Kol Shafar but have been very, um, very involved in various events here at Westminster too. And their daughter who is living in Israel died this past week. Yeah. Others? Other joys and concerns to share? Yeah, Jim. Yeah. Um, Jim's praying for the people of Ukraine, also the people of Russia, as we approach the one-year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, Ruthie. For Jimmy Carter. Mm. prayers for Jimmy Carter, now on hospice care. Others? Yeah, Chris. Chris, prayers for the Ernst family, her family. So your cousin, you said it was, um, died recently. She was the matriarch of the family, and they just had the memorial service for her yesterday. Others? All right. Let's have a few moments of quiet, um, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let's be in prayer together. Gracious God, we give thanks for all those who have heard and have seen your vision of love and who have shaped diverse and faithful communities to follow in your way. Continue to open that vision to us that we continue to grow in love for one another. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, for us as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.
Amen. So this is the third Sunday of the month, which means it's Birthday Blessing Sunday. If you have a birthday in February, or maybe if you missed a birthday in a previous month, a blessing, then I invite you to come forward. Seriously? It was the same at 8.30. Okay, so I have a birthday in February. Really? Nobody else? That's crazy. What are the odds? <gasps> David has a birthday. I, you didn't want to be the only one, right? But now it can be both of us because we both have birthdays in February. See? You know what? Oh, see? There you go. Strength in numbers. So happy birthday to us all, right? Um, so... The season of Lent begins on Wednesday. And so I wanted to share with you a poem by one of my favorite Christian poets, Anne Weems. And it's simply titled, Lent. So Lent is a time to, Lent is a time to take time to let the power of our faith story take hold of us. A time to let the events get up and walk around in this a time to intensify our living unto Christ, a time to hover over the thoughts of our hearts, a time to place our feet in the streets of Jerusalem or walk along the sea and listen to his word, a time to touch his robe and feel the healing surge through us, a time to ponder, a time to wonder. Lent is a time to allow a fresh new taste of God. So my hope, my prayer for you on your birthday is that all of that doesn't just happen in Lent, but happens throughout the year, a time to allow a fresh new taste of God. May it be so. you. Happy birthday. You may be seated. And I'd like to invite any children who are worshiping with us to join me here at the front. I meant to mention during the joys and concerns that this is a week of school break for most uh, Marin kids. In fact, Rob and Jeff and their families are both on vacation this week. So I would certainly offer a prayer for those who are traveling, uh, for those who are just finding a week of rest and rejuvenation. Conrad, you are a brave, brave soul. Thanks for coming up to join me. I bet I can get one more person to join us. That person right there. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Just so Conrad, it's not all by himself. If, if you're worshiping with us for the first time, this is my child and he's kind enough to join us. So there once was a time when people would get dressed up really fancy to go to church. You know, men would all wear their ties and women would wear their nice fancy dresses. Um, and that doesn't happen quite so often anymore, but there is some, something to be said for maybe dressing a little extra special to come to church. Ben calls that his church shirt. 
if you only see Ben on Sundays, you might think that's the only shirt he owns because he wears it. But it's kind of a nice special shirt that he sets aside just for church. But I was realizing that I wear this robe, and so you can't really tell if I'm you know, wearing some nice fancy clothes. So I asked my family last night if I could maybe borrow some of their fancy stuff just to you know, look a little extra special for church. So here's what they, they gave me. They gave me some really fancy bracelets I'm going to put on and this very large fancy ring, right? And then I also, I got a tie. Who says they're just for men, right? Put on my fancy tie. And then perhaps my most favorite thing of all, when I asked for fancy clothes, this is what I got. A cape! (laughs) You know, I mean, why not? Why not? I'm not even sure if it's gonna fit around my neck, but we're sure gonna try. Oh yeah, no problem. So now I'm looking good, right? I'm all ready for church. But really, so as I mentioned, you know, that we, we, we dress maybe a little extra nice for church, but not nearly as much as we used to back in the day. And that's, that's probably not necessarily a bad thing because though it's you know, sometimes fun to get a little dressed up extra special, you know, God probably doesn't care quite so much about my fancy bracelets or my ring or my cape, right? You know, what God is hoping that, you know, even if we get dressed up for something special, what God is really hoping is that sort of we maybe dress up our inside, dress up who we are. And in fact, not just dress up, but every single day, you know, we act in extra special ways. Not just dressing extra special, but we act with extra special love, extra special kindness, extra special care for people. We work to make sure there is justice, there is righteousness in the world. Big words that you're going to learn about later. Um, So, yeah, if you want to dress up nice for church, that's nice. But what we really want to do, what God really calls us to do, is think about how we're acting extra special when we're interacting with other people, when we're interacting with ourselves, with love, with care, with kindness. So I want you to think about that this week. Whatever you may be wearing, how are you acting, how are you behaving, how are you in relationship with people in the world? I probably won't keep this on for the rest of worship, even though I'm looking pretty snazzy, but I will act with love always. All right, so I see Sally back there, and Ben's going to head out, too, for Sunday school. Ready? Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. Our first scripture reading is from the book of Leviticus. Listen for how the Spirit speaks to you through these challenging words. Anyone who kills a human being shall be put to death. Anyone who kills an animal shall make restitution for it, life for life. Anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted is the injury to be suffered. One who kills an animal shall make restitution for it, but one who kills a human being shall be put to death. You shall have one law for the alien and for the citizen, for I am the Lord your God. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks Thanks be to be to God.
Our second passage this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew. And this is Jesus talking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to anyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. So Greg Carey, Greg Carey is a New Testament professor at Lancaster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. And he tells this story about his 10-year-old daughter, Erin. And he says, stumbling into the kitchen after a long day of work, I put down my groceries and I listened to my voicemail. There was a message from Erin. Dad, I'm the lector at church on Sunday, and I have that passage that says, turn the other cheek. You know that passage, right? Do the other Gospels have that same passage? Is it different in the other Gospels? Could you let me know? Because, no offense, Dad, but I think Jesus is wrong. Now, I'm not sure what my favorite part of that story is. It's either a 10-year-old calling Jesus wrong, I love that, or it's the, no offense, Dad. You know, I can imagine sort of the unsaid part of that conversation, something like, you know, I know your job is to study and teach the New Testament, and I know I'm questioning the man on whom you have based your entire life and career. Yeah, but I think he's wrong. I would have loved to know how he responded to that, how Greg, but I, who knows. But I can understand where she's coming from, right? I mean, this passage, turn the other cheek, right? Walk an extra mile, give up all my clothes, for goodness sakes. You know, what is Jesus talking about? Who would willingly do any of that? Of course, not that the passage from Leviticus is any easier, right? You know, that passage which talks about putting people to death, causing bodily injury, right? Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's violent. So obviously both of these scripture passages need perhaps a little extra look today. So I'm going to start with Leviticus. So Leviticus was written at a time when the system of retribution, of retaliation, had spiraled way out of control. Now you know that thought that the punishment should fit the crime. Well, in those days, the punishment did not fit the crime, right? There were often punishments that were way out of line with whatever had happened. You know, this, people would face, you know, often violent consequences for what were minor infractions. You know, when this happened informally, say just between two people having an argument, this also happened formally in the legal system, punishments that, you know, didn't make sense based on whatever had happened. So, 
these laws that we hear in Leviticus, and they also show up in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, were, were a, an attempt to enact a more fair justice system. You know, if we get deep into the Latin, they're called lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. And rather than promoting violence, which is kind of what it sounds like, their goal actually was to curb violence, right? Their goal was to make sure that penalties weren't arbitrary, that punishments weren't more severe than the crime that had been committed. You know, you can retaliate, but you can only retaliate for as much as has been done to you. So this was actually, it was a good step in the right direction back in those days. The problem was that these laws still perpetuated that cycle of violence, right? Violence was still an okay consequence, just as long as it wasn't too much violence. So still troubling. So fast forward many, many years later, and then we have Jesus. Jesus, who on his, during his Sermon on the Mount, offered several different teachings that started with, you have heard that it was said. In fact, we heard some of those teachings last week. Rob preached on them last week. And Rob made the point that Jesus would take an established rule or law, and in the teachings we heard last week, Jesus basically made them harder to follow. You know, if, if we think about these rules and teachings and we follow them with love and with justice, often that's more challenging. So Rob, last week, he called that taking it to the next level. So this week, we have yet another one of those teachings. And this time, Jesus seems to sort of take the teaching and turn it on its head, right? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, directly from Leviticus. But I say to you, should anyone slap, strike you on your right cheek, turn the other as well. Now for me, this is where we get back to that 10-year-old daughter. Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, it sounds to me like you're telling me to get hit now on both cheeks. Not going to be very behind that, Jesus. I'm sorry. So what's happening here? You know, scholars, of course, have several theories. One theory has to do with sort of the status in society at the time of Jesus. You know, it's a very hierarchical society. Status was important. Um, and I don't want to dwell on the violence too long, but let me talk a little bit about how, how you hit someone on the cheek. Um, Rob actually talked about this many, many sermons ago, but assuming you don't remember everything Rob says, a little recap. So, assuming one is right-handed, which was assumed at the time, I'm sorry to you lefties, you can either hit someone with a forehand, which is a strong punch, or hit someone with a backhand slap. And in those days, it was considered offensive to give someone a backhanded slap because that meant you didn't really see them as your equal. You're not going to give them your full power, right? They're beneath you. It was the four-handed punch. Oh, that's when someone's your equal and they get your full strength. So if you think about a right-handed person, if they give a backhanded slap, that will hit the other person on their right cheek. So Jesus says, should someone hit you on your right cheek, turn the other cheek. Basically, give them your left one. Force them to give you their forehand. Force them to treat you like an equal as they're punching you. Right? So, <laughs> technically, 
technically that makes sense, right? We know status was important in Jesus' day, right? I have to say, though, for me, that seems a little bit like going down a rabbit hole of historical minutiae, right? And if we truly are going to take it literally, get hit on both cheeks, well, then we need to take all of his other teachings literally, too. Like, how about the one where he says, you know, if someone's going to court and suing you for your cloak, give them your coat as well, or maybe it's vice versa. Either way, basically that's the outer and the inner layer that people wore in those times. So then you're standing naked in the courtroom. Probably not what Jesus really meant, right? So, so what's Jesus getting at here with these teachings? What Jesus is trying to get us to do, really urging us to do, is to break that cycle of violence, right? He says, do not resist an evildoer. You know, don't respond to an evildoer with more violence and more hatred, right? Don't respond to evil with evil. You know, break that cycle. So there's another seminary professor, Matthew Meyer Bolton, and here's how he explains it. He says, Jesus' instruction, do not resist an evildoer, actually points to a deeper, more radical kind of resistance. Non-cooperation in the underlying paradigm of hate and brutality involved in evil doing. You gotta love theologians. They like put all their big words in one sentence. So I'm gonna say that again, right? So what Bolton is suggesting that Jesus is calling us to do is non-cooperation in the underlying paradigm of hate and brutality involved in evil doing. He continues, in fact, we may say that for Jesus, true resistance to evil entails a defiance of the vicious, endless cycle of enemy making. Do not fight fire with fire, says Jesus, fight fire with water. Refuse to take part in the all too familiar work of injury and domination. Stop that cycle of violence, of hatred, of evil. Now, before I go further, it's very important to state very clearly that this doesn't mean that we stay in situations that are harmful or violent, right? Turning the other cheek doesn't mean we don't have any boundaries, right? It doesn't mean that we allow ourselves to be wounded in ways that injure or frighten or leave us, you know, not feeling good about ourselves, Here's more from Meyer Bolton. He says, the centerpiece of this teaching is non-cooperation with harm in all its forms. It, it entails discontinuing arrangements that allow or enable perpetrators to wreak havoc. So turning the other cheek, not about having no boundaries, it's actually about having very strong boundaries. So Jesus' teaching doesn't mean we stay in situations that are harmful. So what does it mean? And what does it look like to turn the other cheek? What does it look like to resist by non-cooperation in the underlying paradigm of hate and brutality involved in evil doing? That's going to be my new catchphrase. <laughs> so I want to show you a scene, if my technology works, from the movie 42. It's a movie about Jackie Robinson, who is the first black Major League Baseball player. And in this scene, Jackie Robinson is in the office of Branch Rickey, who is the president of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And this is before Robinson actually takes the field to play any Major League Baseball. And basically, Branch Rickey is telling Robinson, warning him about 
all of the hate and the ugliness that he is going to face once he starts playing. You know, Ricky just lays it out for him. You know, the, the taunts and the insults he's going to get from the opposing players and fans, all the struggles he's going to have when he's out on the road at restaurants and at hotels, you know, just over and over how difficult it's going to be. And then Branch Ricky stops and he looks at Jackie Robinson. He's like, so when this happens, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to fight back? Are you going to ruin all my plans? And then this is how Robinson responds to that. So I, it's a little hard to see. The scene is dark, but hopefully you'll at least be able to hear what happens here. You want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? No. No. I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. People aren't going to like this. They're going to do anything to get you to react. Echo a curse with a curse and they'll, they'll hear only yours. Follow a blow with a blow and they'll say the Negro lost his temper. That the Negro does not belong. Your enemy will be out in force and you cannot meet him on his own low ground. We win with hitting, running, fielding, only that. We win if the world is convinced of two things, that you are a fine gentleman and a great baseball player. Like our savior, you gotta have the guts to turn the other cheek. Can you do it? So that's a list of a bunch of players with Jackie Robinson's name starred. You give me a uniform. You give me a looking for a player with the guts not to fight back. That was the line there. Other versions of this story, after Branch Rickey says the thing about, do you have the guts to turn the other cheek? Other versions of the story have Jackie Robinson responding, I have two cheeks. So Jackie Robinson also wrote an autobiography, and he talks about that moment. And he says, could I turn the other cheek? I didn't know how I would do it, right? It's hard, it's challenging to do this. He says, yet I knew that I must. I had to do it for so many reasons, for black youth, for my mother, for myself. You know, both Robinson and Ricky realized that nothing would be accomplished if Robinson just kept fighting back, kept perpetuating that cycle of hate. But he did have an opportunity, not necessarily to stop the cycle all by himself, he can't do that, but he did have an opportunity to make an important statement with his nonviolent resistance, right? Resistance that wasn't responding with hate and evil. So it wasn't easy. In his autobiography, he details all kinds of the, the taunts, 
the, the behaviors that he had to endure from other people. It was tough. But because he was able to turn the other cheek, he kept the focus on his skills as a baseball player. And he was also able to start shining a light on that ugly, inexcusable behavior of the other people. You know, after one game, a New York newspaper wrote this. They were talking about Chapman, who is the manager of the Phillies, and three of his players poured a stream of abuse at Jackie Robinson during the game. This is the re newspaper reporter. Jackie, with admirable restraint, ignored the language coming from the dugout, thus stamping himself as the only gentleman among those involved in the incident. So absolutely unacceptable that Robinson had to endure that kind of hateful, racist behavior. Unacceptable that people today still have to endure that. But in not resisting the evildoer with violence, in, in stopping that cycle of harm, Jackie Robinson was able to create a lot of positive change. So I want to share one other example. This one is a story from NPR. It's about a man named Julio Diaz. He was a 31-year-old social worker that lives in New York City, takes the subway home every day after work, but he always stops one stop before his home because he likes to go to dinner at a certain diner there every night. So it says, one night as he stepped off the train onto a nearly empty platform, his evening took an unexpected turn. He was walking toward the stairs when a teenage boy approached and pulled out a knife. Diaz says, he wanted my money, so I just gave him my wallet and told him, here you go. As the teen began to walk away, Diaz told him, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. So the would-be robber looks at the would-be victim and is confused, saying, why, why are you doing this? And Diaz tells him, well, if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then you must really need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was go get dinner. Then Diaz says, if you want to join me, you're more than welcome. So the two go together to the diner to eat dinner. And then the bill arrives, and Diaz tells the boy, well, I guess you're going to have to pay for the bill because you have all my money. I can't pay for it. However, if you give me my wallet back, I will gladly treat you to dinner. And the teen says Diaz didn't even think about it, returned the wallet, and Diaz says, I gave him $20. I figure maybe it'll help him out. So certainly, that story could have had a lot of different endings, and unfortunately, stories like that don't always end well. But, but in that story, look what is possible, right? Look what can happen when we turn the other cheek, when we give our coat as well as our cloak, when we work to end that cycle of hatred and of violence. So Mahatma Gandhi is often quoted as saying, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Now Jesus shows us that there is another way. 
May that way be so. Amen.
You may be seated. So as I mentioned during the birthday blessing, uh, the season of Lent begins on Wednesday. Lent is that time of preparation prior to Easter. And Lent always begins with Ash Wednesday. So we will have an Ash Wednesday service here in the sanctuary at 9.30 a.m. on Wednesday. All are welcome to that. And then a new offering this year, every Tuesday and Thursday during the Lenten season, Rob and I are going to offer a brief time of prayer and reflection online. Uh, so we figure during the lunch hour, if you're at home or if you're at work or wherever you may be, just take about 10 to 15 minutes to pause and, and join us. Uh, you can come once. You can come every single Tuesday and Thursday, but we will be there. You can find the link on our website. You can find the link in the e-news. If you don't get our e-news and would like to, let us know. If you want me to just email you the link so you have it, I can do that. Just let me know. Um, but it should be a, a good new offering during Lent. And then, not necessarily a Lenten event, but uh, a good event nonetheless, the evening of this Thursday, the 23rd, uh, is the first in our new series called Faith Traditions. We're inviting different faith leaders from the Bay Area to come and talk with us about their own faith story, we, you know, what inspired them, called them to become a faith leader, and then just a little bit about their tradition. Kicking off the series is Reverend Floyd Tompkins, who is the pastor at St. Andrew Church, Presbyterian Church in Marin City. He is a dynamic speaker, so I highly encourage you all to come for that and to hear some of Floyd's story. That will be Thursday at 7. And then we have all kinds of other great things happening, so definitely read your bulletin and get involved as it makes sense for you. So let's now join in our closing hymn, Standing or Sitting, number 462.
And now as you go from this place, know that that love, that love of God, our creator, Jesus Christ, our redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, goes with you now and always. Amen.